lost anything? Or maybe I should ask it this way. When was the last time you lost something? Well, think about that for a minute. Most of us have had the experience of losing something, something of value, something of one kind or another. Sometimes we lose something that doesn't matter. Sometimes we lose our car keys, and that can be a loss that's hard to correct. So think with me for a minute. When was the last time you lost something? Something that meant something to you, something that was important, something that was such that you just felt compelled to find it. You just had to find it. You know, if you lose something that doesn't matter to you, you won't really worry about whether you try to find it. It's just lost. Oh, well, so what? One of those things. But I want you to think about something that really matters to you that you lost. Maybe a wallet, maybe a credit card. I have had the unfortunate experience of mistakenly leaving a credit card behind at a restaurant. And so I had to go back and retrieve it. Thankfully, very thankfully, in those situations, the restaurant had found the credit card and kept it for me. Well, I was relieved that I found it and I felt an imperative to go get it. I couldn't just let it go. In fact, I interrupted my day to go get it because there was an imperative that, that compelled me to go look for it. I could not just leave it alone. So when was the last time you lost something that had to be found? You just had to find it. And what did you do? I'm guessing, and I can only guess, but I'm guessing that you turned the place upside down to find that which was lost. Well, we're going to talk about that idea of losing and finding or being lost and being found today on the program, Faith Is. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and I'm so glad you chose to join us. Faith Is is the place where we take time every week to coach each other, to help each other, to stretch each other, to have more faith. Because we say faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And we want to trust him. He wants us to trust him. So we're identifying faith as that quality that of absolutely trusting God and having that kind of confidence in him. So we want to explore the scriptures this, this week on the program. We want to take a look at some key ideas and, and uncover some important things about this idea of, of being lost or of having something that must be found. I'm the pastor at Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida, and we at our church are happy to welcome people to our church. Maybe somebody who is lost wants to come and be found by God, or as we sometimes say, find God. So all of us have a sense, and when the Bible talks about something being lost, what that means. Sometimes it's lost people, but sometimes it's lost things that have to be found. And we don't know where they went, but we're going to find them because the lost cannot remain lost. It has to be found. So I want to explore these ideas a little bit from Luke chapter 15. And there are three parables there. 
I started out, I wanted to focus primarily on the third parable, but in order to think about this idea that, that I want us to think about, I want to introduce the other two parables as well, because while we could spend the whole time we have together this week on any one of these parables, we're not going to get quite into that depth, but we do want to really take a look at one, one concept. And so let's read together, and I want to read just the the opening paragraph, as the New International Version puts it, first couple of verses from Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bible, and it doesn't matter if your English translation is the same as the one I'm using, you will be able to make sense of it. Just follow along and enjoy what God has to say to us and stretch toward God as we develop absolute confidence in his trustworthiness. So here we go. Luke chapter 1, verse 15 from the New International Version. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Well, two verses that introduce this section of Luke, chapter 15, and it describes a most interesting phenomenon. Tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus. There was something compelling about him, what he was saying, that they wanted to hear. Now, the descriptions, tax collectors and sinners, meant exactly that. Tax collectors were not highly thought of, and sinners, of course, were those who paid no attention to the law and no attention to what God required people to do. So here's this rather unsavory bunch, tax collectors and sinners, gathering around to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees, the presumed righteous ones, they struggled with that. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these people who specialized in, in making sure they complied with the law as, as the scriptures explained it and as they understood it and interpreted it, they're concerned because why is Jesus spending his time with tax collectors and sinners? And so they say, and they mutter, as this one says, I thought that was very interesting, they used the word mutter. The Pharisees said, excuse me, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. That's a very interesting description. And they muttered these words, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. He welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, there was a friendship around a table in those days that that's different than but similar to ours when we have people at at our dinner table with they are our friends and we enjoy a kind of camaraderie around the enjoyment of a good meal that isn't the same as anything else it's a special kind of of friendship and fellowship when we have dinners at our churches and and we sit around the table with people we know or new friends that we're getting acquainted with. It's a special kind of friendship and fellowship. And so when this refers to the Jesus eating with sinners, well, it's, it's raising the issue uh, in a rather uh, blunt but kind of sideways direction of what's he doing being so friendly with these sinners, even sharing a meal with them. So it's in that context, it's in, in response to that accusation, I suppose we could say, that Jesus then tells three p- 
parables. And we pick that up in verse three with the first parable, and it's a familiar one. You may recognize the concept. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents, or pardon me, one sinner who repents, than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So this is Jesus' answer to the accusation, good grief, he welcomes sinners and eats with them. This story is Jesus' answer to that accusation. Now, you may be familiar with this idea, this parable of the one lost sheep and how the shepherd leaves all the rest of the sheep to go after the one. You may have heard songs that refer to this in their lyrics. It's a very familiar concept, and it's one that we tend to embrace because isn't it remarkable how the shepherd cares for that one lost sheep enough to go looking for it. And it says that he does just that. He leaves the 99 in the open country to go after the lost sheep until he finds it. In other words, the shepherd felt that imperative to find that lost sheep. Similarly to the imperative I ask you about, when you have lost something, do you feel an imperative to go get it? If it's of enough value, you do. And apparently for the shepherd, one sheep was enough value that he felt an imperative to go find that lost sheep. Not only does he find it, but then he puts that lost sheep on his shoulders and carries it home. Having gotten home with the lost sheep and restoring it to the flock, then he calls his friends and neighbors and says, hey, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. In other words, I found that which was so valuable, I was compelled to go find it. Now I want you to rejoice with me that I found it. And then Jesus says, to summarize the parable, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So Jesus is explaining to them why he welcomes sinners and eats with them, because he wants them to return to the shepherd, to the sheepfold, and he would rejoice over them because there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who turns to God than over all the righteous that were remaining, the 99, who did not need to repent. So you see, Jesus has a concept here that he's explaining to them about the imperative of finding that which was lost. He's explaining the concept of them of rejoicing over one who changes his ways or her ways, and that now is welcomed into the flock because that person has come back to where that person belongs, has, we like to say, come home. So there was an imperative there, clearly, to find that which was lost. 
There's another parable that comes right in a row because Jesus doesn't seem to interrupt the flow of the thought because it continues in verse eight, or he says, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So the same, we might say, conclusion, punchline, if you will, to the first parable is repeated in the second one, when Jesus talks about how there is great rejoicing over one sinner who turns to God. And again, there's an imperative. This woman had 10 silver coins and loses one. And she searches everywhere for it. Now you might say, but it's only one coin. Well, apparently, and we know this from other information, this was a valuable coin and they needed to be kept together, these 10 silver coins. And so she spares no trouble finding it. It's missing. It must be found. It is so very important. So she lights a lamp. She cleans house searches carefully until she finds it. Imagine, turns the house upside down is the implication of that, cleaning it until she finds that coin. And then what does she do? She is so relieved that she found it that she calls her friends in and says, let's rejoice together. I found my lost coin. You see her relief, her joy at finding the lost coin exactly parallels the shepherd's relief. I found that sheep that was lost. And it parallels in rejoicing. I rejoice that I found that lost sheep. So it starts out with the Pharisees and teachers of the law, wondering, muttering out loud about Jesus, welcoming sinners and even eating with them. And then Jesus responds to their concern by explaining the importance of one that's lost, a sheep and a coin. It's interesting in this case, in these two parables, I suppose you could assume, but everything I've ever read about sheep says I'm not willing to assume this, but for the sake of thinking about it, I suppose you could assume that that lost sheep might, might wander back to the flock then the shepherd wouldn't need to feel obligated, compelled, or at all responsible to go looking for that sheep. If there was a chance that the sheep would wander back, the shepherd would just stay with the flock and keep a lookout and welcome the sheep back when it made its way back. But because sheep are sheep, and because sheep need special care, and because we see the shepherd going as though compelled to find that sheep, we are reminded that sheep would not find their way back. And so that required the shepherd going and that sense of urgency. And then it's paired with that rejoicing. So the sheep would not in all likelihood at all have been found unless the shepherd went searching for the sheep. Certainly that's reinforced in the story, the parable about the lost coin. You could wait all day. You could wait till tomorrow. You could wait till the next day. 
You could wait all week. You could wait all year. That coin is not going to wander back and join the other nine. Just not going to. I know that's silly, but let's think about that. That coin was so lost that the only hope that coin had of retrieval was for that woman to light a lamp, sweep the house, and look for it, which the story explains she did. That coin was valuable, and so it must be found. Wouldn't be able to find itself, had to be found by the woman who was searching. And then, because of its value and the imperative nature of finding it, there is this great rejoicing when the woman finds that. So you see there are parallels here, and they're all trying to help us understand Jesus welcoming sinners and eating with them. Jesus answering the concerns of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And they're under their breath muttering, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And now we have a beginning idea that apparently, because it's talking about something that was lost being welcomed, apparently there's a parallel here that the sinners that the Pharisees are concerned about, that Jesus eats with them, are represented by the lost sheep and the lost coin. And Jesus is simply saying, these, these people that you're so concerned about, muttering about, they're valuable, they're worth it. I have to make every effort to go and to welcome them and to eat with them and to connect with them because it's important that they be found. Jesus didn't just sit back and say, well, they'll get their act together one day. No, he recognized that it was important that they be found. And so in the story of the shepherd, in the story of the woman, that which is lost is diligently, diligently sought and found. And the result is rejoicing because that which is lost has been restored and that sets things right. The sheep is back. No harm will come to it. The coin has been restored. The woman does not have to bear the loss and all ends well, happy ending, rejoice. Now, the same idea continues in the parable of the lost son, but certainly the context is different because in the first parable, we're talking about a sheep, valuable, yes, important, yes. The shepherd wanted it back badly enough to go look for it, but a sheep is not a person. And remember, the original challenge was about these, these uh, sinners that Jesus was even eating with. And in the lost coin, the lost coin certainly couldn't help itself, couldn't find its way back. And it's a coin. It's not a person. So Jesus' stories are very valuable, but they don't quite connect all the way to what about a person who is lost? What about these sinners that I'm eating with, Jesus says, how do we treat them? So the final story kind of brings that all home. The final parable, it is that parable that so many people are familiar with, even if they're not familiar with a lot of Bible stories, almost everybody can remember hearing about the prodigal son, you know, the son that runs off and gets into trouble and runs away from home and all of the things, but then later comes back and is restored. It's a remarkable story. It's portrayed in all kinds of venues and settings, but it originates right here with Jesus telling this story. 
So let's read the story so we can remind ourselves. And then let's think about what's going on here, particularly as it relates to this idea that Jesus is now explaining why he welcomes sinners and eats with them. So we're going to pick up the reading again from Luke chapter 15, verse 11, from the New International Version. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired ser servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now that's quite a story. And there's a lot to think about in this story. And we want to think about it today. And we want to kind of plunge in and begin to grasp what Jesus is trying to teach us here. And what Jesus is particularly trying to teach those Pharisees and teachers of the law that, again, were upset that he welcomed sinners and even ate with them. So the story involves two sons and their father, a younger son and an older son. And it starts out by telling us that the younger one said to his father he wanted his share of the estate. He wanted to get out of there. He wanted to go away from home. And so he asked for his father 
to give him his share of what he would inherit. Now, that's a mild way of saying that, but really that was an insult to the father. It was the young man saying, I can't wait for you to be dead. Give me the money now. I want the money more than I want your presence in my life. It was a really significant rejection by the son of the father. It was most remarkable that the father actually gave the son his share of the estate. It's actually remarkable that the father did that. This whole incident would have brought shame on the father. And in an honor and shame culture, that's a big deal. But the father did it. Pretty soon the son packed up, took off to a distant country and lost everything in wild living. Now that he was down to nothing, a famine came to the whole country and he didn't have anything to eat. He was in a world of hurt. He didn't know what he was going to do. So he went and hired himself out to citizen of that country. As it turned out, a pig farmer, pig farmer sent him into the field to feed the pigs. He was so hungry. He wanted to eat what the pigs were given to eat, but no one even gave him that to eat. Imagine that. Well, this guy's down on his luck now. He was riding high because he had all this money from his father's inheritance. And now he's lost it. And now he's down on his luck. Now he can't hardly survive. And he ends up feeding pigs. Now, one of the things, and there's a lot of things here we can talk about. One of the things we should remember is that to Jewish people, pigs were unclean. And so here's a young man who finds himself feeding animals that are unclean and at such a difficult spot in his life that he even wants to eat what those unclean animals are eating. So he associates himself by his responsibilities to feed them with this uncleanness, becomes unclean himself. Of course, he's violated all of the things that he knew better than by his way of living, losing all of that money. And now he can't even get anyone to offer him pig slop to eat. I guess you could say this young man is lost. Well, we know that because that's the way the father describes him later on. So what happens? Well, what happens is he came to his senses. He said to himself, hey, there's food at my father's house. Even the servants have more food than they need. And here I am starving. I will go back to my father. I will confess to my father. I have sinned against heaven and against you. I will confess that I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. Please take me in. Let me be a hired servant. So he did just that. He went to his father. His father saw him coming. Now, this is very interesting. The son finally comes to his senses and realizes what he's doing. And he determines to go back and humble himself before his father and confess what he's done, who he is, and beg for the mercy of his father. But the scriptures have a different twist on his arrival at home. This story says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. 
Now, most of us are thinking, well, sure, a father whose son has gone off would be eager to welcome him home. But let's make sure we understand one important thing about this. Maybe two important things about this. Maybe God will show you some more important things about this, but let's take a look at this. It says that the father saw him when he was a long way off. Apparently, the father was keeping an eye out for his son, hoping he would come home. That's an important observation. This young man who brought shame on the family by his behavior was still at the center of the father's concern because he was watching and hoping he would come back. Very significant. And then, then when this father saw him, indeed, he was filled with compassion and he ran to his son. Now, understand a Middle Eastern head of household, the father in this story, did not run for anyone, especially to anyone. You came to him but not this father. He was filled with compassion. He was so delighted to see his son that he broke the society conventions and he ran to his son, a, a type of shameful behavior, but he ran to his son and embraced him. He was so happy to see him. Sounds a lot like the joy of the shepherd finding the sheep and the joy of the woman finding the coin. Now here is something else that's lost that's been found, and the rejoicing is just beginning. Well, we're going to take a break in just a minute. We're going to come back to this parable, and we're going to finish it up and, and talk about some of its implications. But I want you to think about that. Think of the joy when someone returns to God. Think of the delight when someone comes home to God. And we'll be right back and talk about that some more. Because of COVID-19, many Americans worry about their health four times a day. That's 120 times per month. To minimize the worries, leading nutritional supplement company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost, an immune supplement that contains full effective doses of science-backed nutrients like vitamin C, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea, all in a one-a-day pill-free ultra-absorption ingestible gel. It tastes great comes in a convenient squeeze gel pack, and it's more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Supporting a strong and resilient immune system can be simple. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Immune Super Boost. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, -E -L -L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Invincible American spirit drives the most audacious experiment in the history of self-government. America Out Loud celebrates the American spirit every minute of every day. AmericaOutloud.com Liberty and justice for all. In today's world, there's no escaping the headlines filled with warnings about emerging viruses and dangerous superbugs. Genesis is the only technology that safely and effectively obliterates harmful pathogens both on the air and on surfaces. 
Genesis plus HOCL neutralize these threats to your environment in just seconds. Find out more about this amazing technology at genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a 15% discount. With Genesis, you'll be prepared for what's next. Welcome back. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and this is Faith Is, where we understand faith to be absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. Faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God, and we're trying to understand so we can grow in our confidence in God, in our faithfulness to Him, in our grasp of what it means to really have the kind of faith that God wants us to have in Him. And we're exploring today the ideas that Jesus introduced to us in Luke chapter 15. We're exploring the the challenge that the Pharisees and teachers of the law gave Jesus when he welcomed sinners and even ate with them, and they thought that was, to put it mildly, outrageous. What's Jesus think he's doing? Well, we're exploring this idea and trying to understand Jesus' answer to them and why Jesus thought it was so important to spend time even eating with these sinners or as verse 1 says, tax collectors and sinners. Well, tax collectors were corrupt in those days, so don't make the same equivalence to our day. But certainly they, he's taught, they're talking about, and Jesus is talking about, these people that are well described as sinners. They gave no thought to following the law. So we're now on the third parable. We've been talking about the parable of the prodigal son, and we explored what the son did and how the father saw him coming and ran, heaping more shame on himself, more than the shame that the son brought to the family by his outrageous behavior and demanding his inheritance and leaving home. The father puts aside all care for convention, all concern for propriety, and he runs to his son to welcome him home. Nothing could stop him. He ran to him. And in the same way, he sought out the lost son. He didn't know where to go to find him. All he could do was hope he came back, but he was watching for him. And like the shepherd went to the lost sheep, the father went to the returning son. Like the woman searched all through the house for the lost coin, this man had kept an eye out all the time, watching and hoping that the son would come back. And when he does, he runs to him and welcomes him, throws his arms around him, kisses him. We pick it up in verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father does not even answer that objection. It's as though the father ignores what the son says. Oh, he probably heard him. The story seems to indicate that he would have heard him. But the father just doesn't pay any attention to that. What's the father do? Very interesting what the father does. His response to the young man's confession is, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So the father gives no attention to the son's confession. He is simply caught up in the rejoicing that the son has returned. 
And that's a very significant thing going on. He restores him. He puts the best robe on him. He gives him a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. It's as though all that was lost by this son is being restored by the father because he's come home. Very significant thing. Now, many times, and most of the time, when we look at parables, we try to identify who do the people in the parables represent. Well, clearly, it doesn't take much imagination, and I'm sure you've already thought of this, that the father in the story represents God. He's playing the role that God would play, and Jesus is just explaining God's perspective by using this story that they could have understood easily to explain something about God. Clearly, there are two sons in the story, and the one son, the one who brought shame to the family, took his inheritance and ran, lost everything because he lived unwisely, found himself even feeding pigs, and then rushes home with a confession that he's not even worthy to be a part of the household. Clearly, that's a parallel to the tax collectors and sinners mentioned in the very first sentence of this chapter. So we've identified the sinners, we've identified the Father, or God, and then there's one other character that's very significant. We get a little glimpse into that in the closing verses of the parable. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. That's pretty bitter. That's pretty angry. So the older brother is not inclined to welcome the younger brother, not even inclined to go in and see him, not inclined to join the feast. Well, who is the older brother? Well, in this story, as Jesus tells it, the obvious parallel to the older brother are these Pharisees and teachers of the law muttering about how Jesus could welcome sinners, even eating with them. Their attitude is exactly portrayed by, paralleled by, the older brothers becoming angry and resentful and refusing to sit down and eat with them. See, the older brother rejected the younger, and the tax collectors and sinners were rejected by the Pharisees and teachers of the law. Very interesting portrayal of that in those verses. Clearly, clearly Jesus is saying to these Pharisees and teachers of the law, you are the ones who are rejecting them. I'm welcoming them because I want them back. I want them to come home. I'm eager to embrace them and include them, and all you want to do is leave them outside. All you want to do is reject them out of some misguided understanding of that which is right and that which is wrong. So in verse 
31. Jesus concludes the parable with these words. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Now, you and I might be tempted to think, well, that sure put those Pharisees and teachers of the law in their place. Because Jesus is cl clearly saying that when a person is dead and is alive again, that's reason for rejoicing. When a person is lost and is found, that's reason for rejoicing. And I guess you'd be right about that because Jesus clearly calls them to account. He does it kindly as I understand, understand the parable, but he does it bluntly so they will understand. And it's interesting to notice that they are responding to this all about how they felt about this brother who had brought shame to the family, taken the money and run, and now comes back and gets a second chance, has the opportunity to be restored. The one who has, by the words of the parable, squandered that money. He just spent it in wild living, as it says, spent everything, ended up feeding pigs. This sorry rascal gets restored to the family, and we're supposed to be happy about it, the older brother says. Well, that's their attitude. That's the Pharisees and the teachers of the law's attitude portrayed by Jesus. They seemed to have a hard heart where it came to people who were lost. So I've been thinking about this idea of lostness and what is it like to be lost? You see, I, I suspect, and, and this is one of the really benefits of parables, they, they fire our imagination and give us the opportunity to think about some things differently. And of course, they also give us the opportunity to challenge those things we think about differently. And I've been thinking this through, and I think this stands up to scrutiny with the, the nature of the stories that Jesus is telling. But I've been asking the question, what is it like to be lost? Because that's clearly the focus on this group of parables. The focus is on something is lost and then found. And it climaxes, comes to a, a completion with the story of the sons of the people as contrasted to the sheep and the coin. And I've been thinking about what does it mean to be lost? Well, the sheep being a, an animal, the shepherd could have special compassion because the shepherd would have known that the sheep might very well suffer greatly if it's not found and die, it might be attacked by an animal and killed as prey. Any number of things could happen. And the shepherd's compassion compelled him to go find that sheep, to rescue it from itself, if you will, from wandering away. And then rejoicing when he finds it and restores it back to the flock. The sheep really couldn't help itself. We might imagine and it would be a wild imagination that the sheep could wander back but very unlikely so the shepherd is compelled to go find that sheep with the coin now this is an inanimate object that doesn't feel anything about lostness so the the concern for it being lost is entirely the woman's 
she's the one that's concerned that it's lost because she has sustained a loss. Well, the shepherd did too. The shepherd sustained a loss as well, because when he loses a sheep, it's a loss. It's an economic loss to him. And here, at the very least, this is an economic loss, and there are indications that it could be more. But let's just settle for that. The woman has lost something of value that she must find and restore. And when she does, she rejoices and invites her friends to rejoice with her. It's a little different in the parable of the prodigal son, the lost son, because here the son has gotten himself lost. And so sometimes people would say, well, you did it to you, suffer the consequences. Well, he did. He did suffer the consequences. He suffered the consequences enough to realize he didn't want to keep suffering the consequences. And so he says to himself, he'll go home and confess and just ask to be restored as a servant because at least you'll have something to eat. He can survive. So in this story, while the son takes off and there's no way for the father to find him, the son begins to realize he's made a terrible mistake and turned his heart and his face toward home and goes home to the father. So there's a little difference in the lostness there. And I think that difference is something we need to think about because clearly, clearly the focus of this teaching, these three parables, is on people that are lost, or as Luke chapter 15, verse 1 calls them, tax collectors and sinners. As the Pharisees and teachers of the law say, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So clearly the focus here is on people, and Jesus is answering the question of why that matters and why he's doing that. The son in the story clearly knows he's lost, clearly knows he needs help, clearly needs a welcome home. I've been thinking about what does it feel like to be lost? Well, I haven't had a lot of experience with being lost. Like most men, I'm never lost when I take a drive with the car. I always know where I am. Ha, ha, ha. Well, that's pretty easy these days with our GPS tools. But I had a couple of experiences in my life with lostness. Uh, I vague, vaguely, vaguely, vaguely remember the first one. I was very small. Uh, I was big enough to walk. I don't know how old I was. I'm guessing I was three, maybe four. Couldn't have been much more than that. But from, from what I have been told about the story and what I remember, but I was with my mother in a large store at a big shopping mall, big in those days, probably small by today's standards. And um, somehow I was separated from her. I'm assuming my sister was along. She may not have been, since I was so, so small, she may not have been allowed to walk around or maybe she wasn't even walking yet. I don't, don't remember, don't know if she was there. Just assume she probably was. But I became separated from my mother and I became lost and as you might imagine, as I heard the story, that was a grave concern to my mother, because what was she going to do? So she ran for help. Well, I don't remember, have no concept of, of thinking I was lost. I do know I was by myself. I can remember that. I knew, do know I didn't know where my mother was. I remember walking the end of the aisles of a store and looking down the row and of seeing a policeman walking one direction. And so I quickly went the other direction. So he wouldn't spot me. I was old enough to think that was a game, I guess, to not be caught by the police, which was pretty silly and pretty indicative of my age. 
And I remember telling the story that I saw him. And of course, that wasn't met with real fond hearing because my mother would have liked for me to have gone to the policeman and said, here I am. Well, they did find me. And I don't know how long I was separated from her. I, I have no, no remembrance of being afraid, nothing. I was told later that, that I was really happy with the whole incident because I liked riding in the police car when they found me. And I don't know why I was riding in a police car, but apparently I got a ride in the police car. I thought that was really cool. But I was lost and I was a great concern to my mother. And I would imagine, I don't remember that there was considerable rejoicing by my mother and all of the other people involved when they found me safe and sound. Well, maybe not sound since I was too ornery to go to the police officer. Maybe I wasn't as sound as I want to think since I ran away. But I had another experience, and this one was a little bit more telling in terms of the feeling of lostness. And I've been thinking about this idea of lostness. What does it feel like to be lost? Because the son gives us some information. The younger son gives us some idea of that when he comes to his senses and realizes he's in big trouble. He's far from home. He doesn't have enough to eat. No prospects for getting better. Lost all of his money. He's he's in big trouble. Well, I've never had a real sense that I was in big trouble that way. I suppose it could yet happen. Things happen to all of us and we don't anticipate them. But I did have a rather interesting experience with that when I visited Cuba. It's been a few years ago now, a group of pastors and I went along to visit Cuba. There were only six or seven of us, I guess. I don't remember the exact number, not a lot. We had a great time. We were planning to be in Cuba a little over a week. I don't know at what point it was in the week, maybe about halfway. We had been there for a while, so I'd kind of gotten used to the lay of the land. I couldn't speak the language. Everything was different, but I'd met enough people, met enough of God's people. We visited churches and had meals with people. and and we were so well received. I couldn't say enough about the hospitality we enjoyed. And, and it, it felt reasonably comfortable. Now, there were some unusual things that we had to adjust to because anytime you visit a country that is not your own and a culture that is different from you, you have to adjust. And there's a certain amount of stress in that. I'm not trying to minimize that, but I was reasonably comfortable. We visited this one church. And as I recall, we had our evening meal there before a service was planned for that evening. And in the conversation amongst our group, it became apparent, and I don't think I knew about this until we just started talking about it. I think the people who planned the trip and helped us with that knew about this. But as it turned out, they needed somebody to stay at this church where we had just had the meal and to, to represent our group in that evening service, while the rest of them went to a different church. I don't remember the reason for that other than we needed to be two places at once. And we obviously couldn't all be in two places at once. And so I said, well, I'll stay here. It wasn't like I felt like great hero, but it seemed like the right thing to do. And, and I had met some of those people and they, there was a, a very good English speaker there that could translate for me and help. And so I said, well, I'll stay here. You all can go to the other church. I don't remember why no one else stayed, but me, uh, there was a reason at the time, and, and that's fine. But I remember it was a really odd feeling when I stood on the steps of that church in Cuba, and I watched that van drive away with the people that I had come with, 
and the only people that I knew that could get me out of there and home. Now, I wasn't really afraid because the people there were just terrific. I, I can't say enough about them. They, they were just terrific. And I'm sure that helped me feel a little more comfortable. I did not feel concerned that they would, wouldn't come back for me. I had every confidence of that. But I did experience that odd feeling of, of knowing that if they didn't come back, I was in big trouble because I didn't know what I would do. I didn't know how to get from where I was to where I would need to be. I had no way of getting there. I had no vehicle, no means of transportation, no map. If I had one, I was just stranded. Well, that was fine. We had the service and I didn't worry about it too much, but I did have the feeling. And I did notice that after we had our service and after the other guys returned, I did notice that um, I was glad to see them and a little relieved when they got back. Now, I didn't doubt that they'd come back, but still there was that interesting feeling. And it's the only thing that I know of in my life that paralyzed what it, par parallels what it might have felt like for this lost son when he was lost. And it's caused me to wonder, do people that are far from God feel something similar to that? Do people that know they've messed up and, and ruined their lives like this young man had done, do they know that? And could it be that, that because they know that, they're longing for compassion and, and a welcome home? Would they be relieved to realize that someone, maybe you, would welcome them home? Or maybe you're the one that needs the welcome. Well, I can tell you for sure, God will welcome you home, absolutely, without a doubt. That's the point of the story. And I have high confidence that you can find a church wherever you are that will welcome you in. If you present yourself to God and to God's people and say, I have sinned and I am no longer worthy, they will welcome you and introduce you to the God who will give you a new identity and will restore you to his household. You see, the prodigal son fell into his father's welcoming arms, and I believe that's what God wants to do for people who are far from God even today. And so I don't know what you might be feeling if you're that person that's far from God, or maybe you say, well, I've, I've ignored God this long. He's probably moved on from me. Uh, no, because if you're listening to this and you're thinking that he probably hasn't, that's pretty good evidence that he's talking to you today and encouraging you to return to the father's house. And if you're the older brother that wonders how it can be that these people can do such outrageous things and still expect to be welcomed home, you just need to stop. Because clearly what Jesus is saying, and he said it twice in the parable, put the words in the father's mouth, that here is a young man who was dead and is alive again. That's the point. Don't we all like the idea of being alive? He says it more than once, says it twice. He was lost and is found. And I believe that God wants to remind those of us who are part of the Father's household to be super welcoming to those who realize they're far from God and who need the opportunity to come home. And I believe that he's teaching us in this parable who are far from God, and that might be you, that you can come to your senses. That's what the young man did. He longed for food and he couldn't get any food, but he came to his senses, the scriptures say, 
and he realized he could go home. Now, he had to lay aside his pride. He had to lay aside all that stuff that he was so sure about when he left and returned to the Father, and you will need to do that too. But you will find a Father who will rejoice because the lost is found. And I believe you will find a church. Ask God to lead you to a church where people will welcome you because the lost is found. A church that realizes that it's not about how good we are, it's about what we do about how we are. A church that recognizes that people who are dead and want to come alive again deserve that opportunity, and we need to welcome them home. Whichever you are, younger brother, older brother, hear the words of Jesus today. Let's all of us who are part of God's household, who could well be described as the older brothers, lay aside our anger, anger and frustrations and irritation with what all these younger brothers have done. And let's recognize that they went through what we never had to go through. And we need to welcome them home as alive. And if you are a younger brother, run to the Father. His arms are ready for you. And there's a church that wants to welcome you. And we'll talk some more next week.